Hello, everyone. Welcome to World Health Purdue's Health Huddle podcast. Our mission for this podcast is to educate our members on global health issues and promote meaningful engagement in our societies through fruitful, through fruitful conversation, lifelong learning, and advocacy. My name is Ella Domingo, host of World Health Purdue's Health Huddle, and I'm a third-year Doctor of Pharmacy student here at Purdue University. Today, we have the honor of hosting Dr. Cindy Konak-Sharp, Clinical Associate Professor in Pharmacy Practice at the College of Pharmacy, as this episode's guest to teach us more about her role as a pharmacist who advocates for and serves the greater Lafayette population. Thanks so much for being with us today. And could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, Dr. Konax? Hi, Ella. Yes, so I am born and raised here in Lafayette, West Lafayette, Indiana. So when you think about the population I serve, I really am serving my community. I have very strong roots in this town. Um, But I've been here at the college for, at this particular college for 25 years. I was also at the College of Agriculture for 10 years prior to my training as a pharmacist. Just to follow a question, um, your involvement in the College of Ag, did that sort of feed into your work now, or um, was that sort of just another stepping stone on your pathway to where you are? So a secret I have to admit is I'm actually a college dropout. My dad taught here at Purdue. Academia education was highly stressed in my family. I am first generation American born. So my path to where I'm at right now has been very non-traditional. Um, As a college dropout, I did work because that was either you go to school or you work. So I got a job as a lab technician in in the College of Agriculture, worked for two different professors, working with dent corn, field corn, um, the corn that you plant, you know, for future crops. And the way my professors treated me and respected me as a person and my abilities actually encouraged me to go back to school and further my education. Um, I actually was in school part-time to be a secondary high school math teacher. So I love teaching. And after my PharmD degree, one year residency in Indianapolis, I landed this position here at the College of Pharmacy, mainly to teach, but part of it was pharmacy continuing education to teach pharmacists um, to to further their lifelong learning. So teaching basically has been deeply rooted as well in my personality. Yeah, it's always really neat to hear about your path. And it's really encouraging for students who are under that pressure of, I have to know exactly what I want to do now or uh, where my next step is. But it's comforting to know that non-traditional paths are great. And they teach you a lot of lessons and further solidify why you want why you want to be doing something instead of just going into something and not really being passionate about it. So uh, we're thankful to have you um, in the College of Pharmacy and be that advocate for those students who need more guidance and finding their passions and really pursuing careers that involve those passions. So um, I know you touched on it a little bit with your um, just talking a little bit more about how you got to where you are now, but uh, could you go ahead and tell us about what groups you've served? 
all right. So working here at Purdue has allowed me to branch out to further serve my community. Um, I've created rotation experiences for students for 20 plus years. The groups that I have worked with here in Lafayette or Tippecanoe County are um, the Tippecanoe County Community Corrections Group, basically working with court-based drug programs um, where misdemeanors and nonviolent felons uh, work out a program with corrections, instead of being incarcerated, they go through a, a court-based program where they meet weekly with the judge and the correctional team um, to make sure that they are successful in completing the program while seeking uh, help in recovery from substance use disorder. I was able to join that group as a healthcare advocate, partially because I knew the founding judge who created the program personally. He actually officiated three of my children's weddings, <laughs> one stepdaughter, and my two children. Um, but they, he recognized, and even through my work, I recognized that this group of nonviolent felons needed a healthcare advocate. You know, people still get sick. People still have medical needs. It doesn't matter what your past behaviors or crimes are, people get sick. However, there is a stigma with people who abuse or misuse drugs that perhaps they are drug seeking, perhaps they're, you know, convincing the health professionals to prescribe or they resort to buying and using drugs off the street. So I was there as a healthcare advocate and I have probably, well, in the 15 years that I worked with these drug court programs, I probably had over 300 doctor of pharmacy candidates on rotation with me. So, you know, my goal was to really help them see this particular population and how can they advocate for their health rather than, you know, judging them because of past behaviors or decisions that they've made. I have also worked with the uh, community health clinic here in Lafayette, as well as uh, the family health clinics of White and Carroll County. So those are federally qualified health centers. Most of those centers do not have a pharmacist working there. So again, I created opportunities for our students to work there to see how could a pharmacist, how could we, you know, I'm a licensed pharmacist, how could I help them distribute medications to that particular population, the uninsured, the undocumented, who again, also have medical needs, regardless of their living conditions, their uh, employment conditions and so forth. Um, several of the people that, that, that are patients at the healthcare or the, the community health clinics have also been involved in some of the drug-based court-based court drug programs. So I also worked very uh, closely with the Halfway House here in Lafayette. So I was working with them through various angles. I worked at work release, so community corrections where they have home detention or work release programs. Again, most of these places, people do not have access to their medications, even if they're prescribed something. 
Um, I have worked at Lafayette Transitional Housing, you know, the, the place for people experiencing homelessness. I've worked at, uh, currently I'm working at Section 8 Housing. So if you think about the populations that I'm working with, I have seen firsthand from my peers, and I'm not naming people, but I know there's a lot of stigma to this population, even behind the counter in a pharmacy. And so I'm trying to expose my students to see, as a pharmacist, we cannot judge these people if we really care about their health. I mean, as a pharmacist, my role is to help people make good decisions about their medications. And I'm not advocating for them to be on medications. I'm just hoping that they can communicate with their providers or people who are taking care of them about whether they should or should not take the medication and make sure they're taking it properly if they trust the person who's telling them to take it. Um, I do call them neglected in the fact that some of the people that I have served are educated. They have good jobs. They just have other situations in their lives that are making it difficult for them to survive, yet they are also working with other groups who are really, and I'll say in the corrections, really judging them and then not allowing them to make choices on their own. So I do call them neglected. The focus that you have on ensuring that these individuals have care is really important because, you know, there's so many stigmas thrown around in society, but at the core of it, there's still humans, there's still individuals who need care, regardless of what situations they might be in. And what really stood out to me was your use, and you were explaining a little bit about it, of the word neglected. In learning about different populations, we might hear the terms underrepresented or underserved, and there's just different terminology, but could you explain a little bit more about why you are intentional about using the word neglected in describing these populations? So if you think about it, how does stigma occur? Some of it's from our upbringing, some of it's from personal experiences, uh, some of it is from the people that we work with. And I will tell you, the correctional team, I mean, they have their goals, they have their roles, is very correctional, and there's not a lot of leeway to their decision-making. As a healthcare professional, though, hopefully students are learning is that we really don't know enough about people to really help them make those decisions. I mean, we can assume that a doctor has diagnosed them with something and that they need medical treatment. However, and I've heard this often, even from my peers in the community setting, all of a sudden, they're not picking up their prescription. So they get phone calls from the pharmacy. You haven't picked up your prescription. We're going to put it back in stock. Does anyone ask why they can't pick up their prescription? Is it transportation? Is it money? Is it they can't swallow their medication? So there's all these factors that inhibit or prevent people from getting the treatment that they need. Unfortunately, stigma arises, and I've heard this many times. It just gets old hearing the patients use the same excuses. So these stigmas arise when the person who's creating or has that perception of stigma that they're getting tired of hearing 
the same stories. They're tired of feeling abused themselves as far as the services or the role that they're playing. They're tired of being taken advantage of or being lied to. I don't know how many times I've heard several of the different people in the populations that I serve that they are manipulative, that they're doing things on purpose, yet until you actually get to meet them, you don't know what's causing them to behave that way. But it's very easy for someone with some sort of authority, a pharmacist, a healthcare professional to say, well, th this is their trait. So they stigmatize people. If I were to tell you I'm working in Section 8 housing, which is one of the questions I love to ask students who start rotations with me, what do you know about Section 8 housing? Or talk to your family that I'm gonna be working in Section 8 housing and notice their response. Most people have a stigma or an impression of what Section 8 housing is because of the media in that town. Or they know it's government subsidized. Well, is that even, does that even imply positive or negative? No, it doesn't apply anything. But I will tell you, some of the people at my Section 8 housing worked here at Purdue are college educated have worked all their lives, they have families or not family, you know? And, it, and so I'd like to work with these, what I call neglected populations, because for some reason, even people in my profession feel a need to not work with them. <laughs> for some reason, there's a stigma in our communities that thinks these people are of lesser value to, to the community. I don't know. I call them neglected because I cannot, judge these people based on education, where they were brought up, any types of family. I don't know anything about them. And unfortunately, a lot of people who have opportunities to work with groups don't talk to them enough and find out what is your story. So I love working with this group. I love working with people who have been shunned from society based on their financial status, based on their past behaviors based on their criminal records. Some of these nonviolent felons, I will admit, I had a pharmacist in our program, highly educated, should be making money. But guess what? Some of these problems that people encounter, doesn't matter your race, gender, education, socioeconomic status, it can still affect you. And I don't think people in general want to be in trouble with whatever laws or rules, it happens. So I don't know if I explained that enough. Uh, I call them neglected because I can't make judgment on any particular group. I just wanna help those who most people don't wanna help. So pretty non-traditional population groups. Right, and I really felt your passion in regards to serving these people because that's kind of sad to think about that just because something happened to somebody in their life. And like you said, they probably didn't want that to happen. And they're in a now unfavorable situation. It would just compound everything, all the struggles that why are these healthcare professionals not even trusting what I'm saying when I'm trying to ask for help. So it's really significant. It's important that we have people like you who advocate for these people and ensure that they get the care that they need, um, regardless of what might have happened in their past, because they need care. And that's the bottom line. And that's what we're here to provide. 
Um, and I know you mentioned a lot of learning opportunities and different students that you've worked with. Um, so could you speak a little bit more about involving these future pharmacists, why you do it? And then also what reflections have some of these students shared with you in terms of maybe perspectives changing or something they saw in a new light through working with you and, and serving these people? Okay. Well, as I mentioned before, I've had hundreds of students on rotation with me at various rotation sites, um, the ones that I've developed. Again, working with place with groups where there's not normally a pharmacist there, even at a wound care center in a hospital, but there's no hospital pharmacist working with this clinic, I guess because they don't deem that clinic, the wound care patients, significant enough for a pharmacist to get involved with. Again, now they're become, they become a neglected population in the hospital, and I'm not sure why, you know, but I'm not an employer, so I don't... I don't know the, the business aspect of some of these things. Um, what I tell my students when they work with me, first and foremost, is I want them to develop their own personal and professional perspectives to various groups of people. You know, I have had in the past some people say, well, this rotation experience is not very pharmacy related. And I will ask them, what's pharmacy related? Not all of the people I serve are on medications, but we also know as pharmacists that, you know, what we put in our mouths for nutrition, how we physically are active is very important to our health. So it's not just about drugs and medications, but again, here's where my non-traditional approach comes because I, as a pharmacist, I'm very non-pharmacological because I want to see people instill personal initiative and motivation to get better. Okay, so a lot of it comes through education. So my students do a lot of education, but most importantly, they just interact with these people and talk to them. At my Section 8 housing, some of the things that we do, and I, would, I will tell you, this group who lives in this Section 8 housing are 62 years and older. Oh, so that's a different population from Section 8 housing that I thought I knew about. So there's different forms of Section 8 housing. So again, you can't judge that general terminology to uh, represent a certain group of people, but we're talking about a geriatric population now. What I'm noticing in this particular uh, setting is a lot of these people, well, they all live independently in an apartment by themselves, one bedroom apartment. And my students go in there and just kind of do a wellness check with them just talk to them. They've been socially isolated with COVID, you know, for the past couple of years. So we are actually a person who can come in and just talk to them, let them talk, let them express themselves, which is very uh, beneficial, beneficial to their, their mind, their mental wellness. Um, the thing I want students to gain out of this is not, you know, should I prescribe them medications or should I be involved in their medication therapy or should I call the doctor or the pharmacies to make sure they're getting their medications? I want them to hear things from the patient's perspective. And most of the people I 
serve, I don't call them patients because they're not all on medications, but many of them have been referred to as participants or residents of these facilities. Um, I did publish one paper with a colleague in Minnesota who did have a rotation experience. However, it was a one day experience versus my four week experience here. And all of my rotations, I asked students to write reflections every week. So I want, because I can see how their thoughts are changing, how their perspectives are changing. So we did a qualitative analysis of the reflection writing from a particular rotational year. She had 10 students. I actually had 25 students that year. So we reviewed their reflections at the end of the experience and identified themes or categories of the way they were expressing their, their perspectives. And I was very happy to report that the students on my rotation actually reflected more on how the overall experience would help them in the future as a pharmacist versus just stating, I saw this, I went to court, I did this. And so I'm hoping that the way my rotations are um, completed, that the students will gain more and learn more about themselves, learn more about people in general, maybe develop some good interpersonal skills, some of the soft skills. How do you talk to a stranger? They tell me often that they're surprised that these people at Section 8 are allowing them to go into their apartments and they don't even know them. And they're only there for four weeks. But what I also see is that this particular population of all the populations that I've worked with, um, they do enjoy working with students. And I can see they also have kind of a personal pride of helping educate future professionals about their situation. You know, the, the residents at Section 8 love teaching students about their history because some of these people are anywhere from 65 to 90 years old. And they tell all these historical stories. People in the drug court programs were able to express their perspective about what it was like to be using a particular drug living on the streets, you know, the dangers, some of the personal experiences with uh, abusive situations that I believe most pharmacists don't really know those stories unless they get to meet these people. There's one woman who was at a homeless shelter that actually acquired permanent housing. So my student and I went to her house. It was actually Easter a few years ago. I brought her an Easter lily and we went into her house and she was showing us her little bedroom and, and all of this. And, you know, my student who probably lives in college housing or has an apartment, it probably wasn't as nice as his apartment, but it was decent for someone who didn't have housing. So I think they learned to appreciate how these people appreciate some of the services that they're getting from the community. And trying to get away from that stigma of being with that particular group. Um, I don't know. I, to me, these patients, these neglected participants, these, this neglected population, just show me and hopefully show my students that people are, are really unique. And 
I don't know. I, I've never feared working with this population. I know I've picked up some participants from work release, which causes my family to be a little concerned that I might be in danger. And I'm, I try to think, you know, why would I be in danger? Because they trust me and I know them. Plus, remember, nonviolent, you know, they're not going to let me work with the violent criminals. These are people who have more nonviolent criminal charges, such as substance use. They couldn't even be dealers, you know, which could be a violent crime. Um, but they basically just have personal problems. And right now, the Section 8 housing, they don't have an income other than, you know, maybe their retirement or their Social Security. Uh, they're on Medicare and or Medicaid. So um, they their situation just uh, prevents them from having better health coverage. That was all really great. I think when you shared about telling these people's stories and saying what's actually going on versus what people's inaccurate perceptions are of these participants, these populations, I think that's part of what your work and your advocacy is, is just telling their stories and what's actually going on and what it's like and how grateful these individuals are for the care that they're receiving. And through your programs with all of the students that go through, you know, that month of rotation or, or different projects that they work on with you and, and taking that time to speak to these participants and gain more of those soft skills, it's only multiplying the opportunity you're creating for these students to shift their perceptions and hopefully be even more advocates that go out into their communities and, and share these participants' stories and really shifting and removing that stigma because I feel like that's what we all need. And that's probably a huge reason why a lot of us chose healthcare is to care for people regardless of their background, regardless of what society's perceptions are of them, we're here to provide care. So with that, is, is there anything, any last takeaways that you want to share before we close out the podcast? Well, I, I do think it's interesting in the fact that I've probably had, like I said, even with just my community corrections, I had over 300 students. And I've been doing many of these rotations for years. So it probably would safe to say maybe have had 1,000 students that have completed rotation with me. I don't know what the exact numbers are. My question would be how many of them have been able to get involved with their community to help any neglected population. I understand that some employers have restrictions on their work schedule, uh, these people have families. I have spoken at a national level for the National Association of Drug Court Professionals. I have spoken at the Indiana Drug Court Workshops talking about why healthcare professionals can contribute to some of these court-based drug programs. And it was interesting because at the state level, I actually had a, a prosecutor and a judge from two different counties here in Indiana asking me if I knew of any pharmacists that could join their drug court program. And while I think that it's, it would be beneficial, I don't know if there's any pharmacists that wanna do this, what I'm doing, because really I'm volunteering for my community. 
So unfortunately, I was not able to find a pharmacist to help in this program. So I am kind of curious the impact that my rotation has on people. You know, I, I do a lot of things here at the college. I don't really measure the true impact on the learner, but I wish I could because I don't want this to just be an experience that they've had that they, who knows when they will recall a situation or a story or something that they learn. But um, I, I guess it's going to be like an unmeasured benefit or an experience to all the students that I've worked with. Maybe, I guess I can just hope that maybe they just become better pharmacists, better caring advocates for people. So that's, that's my only, you know, lingering question is really what is the impact to the learner? But I do know that my community definitely appreciates the students getting involved in my programs. Absolutely. And that's a thousand more opportunities for advocacy, which is a great way to look at it. So thank you so much, Dr. Konox, for your time and shedding all of your wisdom upon us in terms of how we can shift our perceptions, get rid of that stigma, and really advocate for the people who need us and need our care. And to our listeners, give us a follow on Spotify. And that's all for this episode. Stay safe and stay well, and we'll see you next time in our next health huddle.